Uh, it really is, it's a blessing to be up here. Uh, it, it's honestly just a dream come true uh, that I get to be up here and get to preach God's word to y'all. Um, I realized this morning actually that it is today is 10 years to the date that I first came to this church, okay? That's, I mean, that's gotta be God's providence or something. But I realized uh, that it was 10 years ago. I was 18 years old. Uh, I was a freshman in college. And my first week on campus, um, I showed up to Cape Bible Chapel with some buddies uh, that I met from Campus Outreach. Um, I met them at some crazy uh, college campus outreach event. Um, that was before we did the slip and slide. All right, it was some other event. And showed up here and um, honestly um, heard God's word preached um, really for the very first time. And uh, it blew me away and uh, kept me here uh, now again for 10 years. And uh, I'm forever thankful for Cape Bible Chapel. I'm forever thankful for uh, just the pastors here, the elders here, and just for all of you. Um, this really is home to me. This is my family. I was telling someone as I was walking in, I just feel like I get to come and preach to my family, um, which, is, which is really amazing. Um, when I found out that I was going to get to preach here, I knew I either wanted to talk about one or two things, okay, um, evangelism or prayer, okay, and my college students know that's really all I talk about, okay, so evangelism or prayer, and I decided to go the prayer route um, because I really do believe, okay, that prayer is one of the most essential things um, that we need to grow in as God's people, as his church, um, that's me included, okay? So um, I really felt like, man, prayer is something that we need to talk about. It's something that we all need to grow in. And um, as I was studying this and I, as I was asking the question, why do we not pray? Y'all ever ask yourself that question? I feel like anytime I think about my prayer life or even ask others about their prayer life, it just, it's always one of those things that's like, man, I, I should be praying more. I don't pray as I ought. It's just a really hard discipline to get into. So what is the biggest reason we don't pray? I'm sure that there are a lot of reasons. Um, I'm sure uh, a busy schedule is one of those reasons. I'm sure laziness is one of those reasons. I'm sure that it's just hard for us to get away and actually speak to God on our own. But I believe uh, the biggest reason, the argument that I'm making even this morning, is the greatest reason we do not pray is because we have a low view of God. Okay? The greatest reason we do not pray is we have a low view of God. That we do not fear Him rightly that we do not view him correctly. And ultimately, our low view of God uh, causes us to not understand the privilege, the great honor it is to be able to talk and speak to the God of the universe. Y'all feel me there? Okay. By the way, I'm like, any amens, I'm all for it, okay? So be talking to me as I'm talking to you. Job 15.4 says this, I thought this was a fitting verse. It says, But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering your meditation before him. We're doing away with the fear of God. Because we don't fear God rightly, we don't pray to him rightly. And ultimately, 
um, before we jump into the text, I want us just to, to understand as well. Um, yes, I'm talking about prayer this morning, but I'm talking about something way greater than prayer. The only reason why I would even talk about prayer is what prayer even means. Why we talk about prayer is we're talking about communing with the living God. Often we talk about prayer as just some superficial thing. Yeah, I should probably do that more. Yeah, I don't do that, you know, like I ought to. But let's really understand what prayer is. Prayer is not just something that we do or something that we should do or something that makes us feel better. Prayer is getting to commune with the God of the universe. It's spending time enjoying God. It is something created by God for the people of God so that we can ultimately enjoy and worship God. And again, a disclaimer, um, this is so convicting for me as well. And as I was studying this, the more and more I was convicted of my awful at times prayer life and how little um, I think about how great God is. And so I'm going to pray for us um, and then we're going to jump into our text this morning. Pray with me. Jesus, we love you. God, we, we come before you um, this morning and I'm just, I'm just asking that you would speak to us. I'm asking that you would speak to us through your holy and perfect word. God, I, um, I am so weak and frail. God, I proclaim that there is nothing special or important about me. God, I feel absolutely humbled to be up here. I feel humbled to... Um, preach your word to these people, but I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would anoint my tongue, O God, and as I preach your word, that you would cause it to be planted into the hearts of, of your people, and that you would cause it to grow. God, I pray that I would not be worried about what anyone in here thinks of me, but God, I would be um, I would be focused about pleasing you, God. And as I speak and as I preach, I pray that the congregation would be led to a higher view of you, that they would see you rightly, that, that they would see you fully, that all of us would get to uh, view the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, and it would cause us to rightly fear you and revere you that it would cause us to love you more and worship you more and ultimately, ultimately it would lead us to pray. It would lead us to speak to you, God. So God, all I ask, would we see you, God, this morning? Would we see your glory on display and would it change our lives? We love you, God, and we ask this in your name and I pray, I pray that if there's anyone in here that does not know you, if there's anyone in here that does not have a relationship with you, but that they would be saved today, oh God. Would you save somebody today by the proclamation of your word? We love you and ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, if you want to get out your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 11 this morning. Luke 11. Luke 11. 
We'll be spending a little bit of time in Exodus as well, but we'll get there. Luke 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 with you this morning. Here we go. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. As we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and, you, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? For if he asks, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This is the word of God. Okay, so as we start out in Luke 11, I know that was kind of a long passage. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when we read the scriptures, specifically when we read the gospels, what we see is that Jesus prayed and he prayed often. Okay, Jesus prayed, he prayed often. It is something significant. It is amazing that God in the flesh, Jesus, the Son, spent time and spent time often talking to his Father. And Jesus had such a special and sweet communion with God in prayer that it, it, it did something to his disciples. It's interesting here, and you see it. It says, Lord, teach us to pray. This is the only um, thing that we see recorded in the New Testament of the disciples asking Jesus for them to teach them something. The disciples are approaching Jesus, and as they see his prayer life, as they see his communion with God, his disciples are like, we want us some of that. We want to be able to commune with God like you commune with God. We want to be able to pray like you pray, Jesus. So teach us how to do that. And he said to them, Jesus says to them, when you pray, okay, and he gives them a little prayer. What do we call this prayer? The Lord's Prayer. That's right. The Lord's Prayer. We call this the Lord's Prayer. Probably a lot of you um, know about the Lord's Prayer. Probably a lot of you have even committed the Lord's Prayer to memory. 
right? Um, I grew up in, in, a, in a household, and we didn't talk a whole lot about God, but even in my household, I remember my parents, parents reciting the Lord's Prayer with me. It was something that I memorized even as a little kid, but I had no idea what it meant, right? It was something that sounded awesome, but it wasn't something that I, I really knew about. And so what we're going to do this morning at first is, is when Jesus tells us, this is how you pray, we're going to break kind of each section of the Lord's prayer down. So that leads me to my first point, which is the God we are speaking to. You can write this down on your, on your outline. Point number one is the God that we are speaking to. Feel free to take notes. Um, Pastor Eric always said that you, re- you remembered it more if you took notes. So I'm just taking his, his advice on that. All right. The God we are speaking to. Though I believe Jesus really is here teaching us how to pray, I think he is also teaching us who we are praying to. Y'all feel me here? This isn't just an instructional guide of how to pray. This is actually um, worshipful. He, this is theological. And Jesus, just in this short little paragraph, is teaching us a lot more about the God we are actually praying to. And so we're going to look at this. The first thing, the first line here, is Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We're going to take that phrase, hallowed be your name. All that means, hallowed, is just another word for um, holy be your name or worship your name, glorify your name, set apart is your name. So I want to take us really quick and I want us to, to, to see, okay, what name we're actually praying to. Remember, this whole talk is about, or this whole sermon is about who God is. The whole point is I want us to see the God we are speaking to, and I'm praying it would convince us to want to pray to him. So let's go to Exodus really quickly. We're going to go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Exodus, it's right after Genesis. It'll be close to the beginning. And we're going to look at the name of God that should be hallowed or worshipped in our hearts. Chapter 33, and we're going to start in verse 18. 33, starting in verse 18. Moses said, speaking to the Lord, Moses said, "Show, please show me Your glory. And he, he the Lord, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. The Lord. This this means Yahweh, the great I am, Yahweh, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place 
by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We're gonna pause here. We're gonna come back. Pause here. Okay. Essentially what's happening here is Moses is speaking to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, show me your glory. God says to Moses, he says, I will. I will proclaim my name to you. I will show you who I am. But he's saying, but you cannot see my face. You cannot see me fully. For if you saw me fully, you would literally die. So what I will do is I will hide you in the cleft of this rock, okay, this big rock. I'll hide you in the cleft and I will pass by and I will show you my glory and you'll get to be able to get a taste of who I really am. Then go to chapter 34, starting in verse 5. This is the Lord showing Moses his glory. This is what happens to Moses, Verse 5, chapter 34, the Lord, Yahweh, descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And what did he do? And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. That is amazing. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, in abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and of the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. This is the name of the Lord. This is Yahweh, the God that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who gives his steadfast love to thousands, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Yahweh, Yahweh is the one who created the universe out of nothing, We read this in Genesis 1, right? Yahweh, who literally breathed fiery stars into existence. This is Psalm 33, 6. Yahweh, who formed man out of the dust of the earth, Genesis 2. And as he formed the dust of the earth and he created man, and then out of man he created woman, he literally breathes life into them and gives them them life and existence Yahweh, who it says measures the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Yahweh, who uses heaven as his throne and the earth as his footstool. Can you imagine that for a second? Yahweh, the God of the universe. It literally says heaven is his chair and he props up his feet on the earth. Amazing. That's in Isaiah 66, 1. Yahweh, who is sovereign over all things, at all times, in all places. This is the name of God. 
This is him. This is the one that we are speaking to. The God who is too marvelous for words. His greatness is unsearchable. His holiness we cannot fathom. And his power cannot be quantified. And here is the beauty and the glory of prayer. Is that God, Yahweh, we get to call Father. Do y'all see this? When Jesus started his prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. They would have been shocked. What do you mean that we get to call God, Yahweh, Father? The God of the universe, the only sovereign, the one that created everything that is to be, the one that should be most feared, the one in the Old Testament where literally God's presence would only dwell in the Holy of Holies and only one priest once a year got to even enter his presence. What do you mean, Jesus, that we get to call him Father? That and that alone should cause us to want to pray. I get to call that God Father? I get to speak to him. I get to commune with him. I get to talk to him face to face. Wow. I want to pray. I want to be with that God. The God that's merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I want to speak to that God. But this is very important, okay? This is very important. How do we get to call him Father? How do we we get the privilege of calling this hallowed and holy God Father? Because at first, we weren't able to call him Father. The Bible actually says in Ephesians 2 that we were born not as children of God, but children of what? Wrath. Thank you, campus outreach students. Right? We know this. Yeah, we get it, we get it, wrath, children of wrath, right? We were born children of wrath. Our father was not Yahweh, our father was of the devil, is what the Bible says. So how do we go from child of wrath, in my sin, not able to approach this holy God of the universe? How do I get to the point where I get to call him father? And this is where the gospel comes in. And I would be remiss to share that with you this morning because I know not everyone in this room even understands the gospel and understands the beauty of the gospel. That though we were sinful, though we are sinful beyond imagination, Jesus comes on the scene and God sends his only son his only begotten son, and he sends his son to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He lives on this earth 33 years, lives it perfectly. He is the perfect righteousness of God, never sins. And he dies the death that we were supposed to die and suffer on the cross. God kills his son, so that we sinners can now be a son and call God Yahweh Father. We see a picture of this in Exodus 33. 
We see this in Exodus 33 when Moses wants to see the glory of God and God says, no, you cannot see me or you would die. You cannot see my face. What does he do with Moses? He hides him where? Where does he hide Moses? In the rock, in the cleft of the rock. And he says to Moses, I will hide you behind this rock and this rock will actually shield you from my glory. Jesus is the cleft of the rock for us. And we, as sinful people, get to hide in the righteousness of Christ so that now we can actually see the glory of God and we see his glory through the face of Jesus Christ. We have to, we have to trust and believe in Jesus Christ and his righteousness if we want to call God Father. If we want to commune with God and pray to God, we have to know him as Father. There is nothing sweeter, nothing more precious than getting, as as Christians, getting to call God our Father. Father, hallowed be your name. It says, this is a quote by J.I. Packer, and it says this, adoption, okay, us being adopted as a son or daughter of God is the highest privilege that the gospel offers higher than even justification. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater still. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Right? We fear God we fear God because of who he is. We see, the, we see God, we see how holy, how amazing, how powerful he is and should it lead us to fear him, to respect him, to honor him in our hearts, but then see the beauty of the gospel that that great God we get to call Father. Point number two. Point number two is the Lord's Prayer God's character revealed. Again, we're going to look at God here, okay? We're going to keep looking into his character, and we're going to continue to break down the Lord's Prayer. So we went through the first line, Father, hallowed be your name. The second line is your kingdom come. And so we're just going to, we're going to kind of break this down, and we're going to uh, explain who God is. So your kingdom come, you can write this down, God is our king, God is our king, and he is ushering in his kingdom. It's helpful for us to see that God is not just our father, but he is also our sovereign king. 1 Timothy 6.15, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Jesus being the one that God highly exalted and gave him the name that is above every name, right? Jesus, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our king and he is ushering in his kingdom. 
What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? What, is that, what does that mean? Well, I think it can mean a lot of things, but this is how I would explain it. Praying, God, your kingdom come, means asking our heavenly Father to help us in our lives to be faithful, obedient, authentic, authentic and effective Christians. That we would spread God's kingdom by preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Part of the heart of our prayers should be, God, this earth does not look as it ought to look. God, this earth is sinful and they are disrespecting you and your glory. God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your glory to be made known here in Cape Girardeau, on Simo's campus, and in the ends of the earth. We want everyone to know who King Jesus is. And we want everyone now, in this lifetime, to bow their knee to Christ and say, He is my Lord. He is my King. I want to ask you this morning, How much do you pray for the kingdom of God? How much do you pray that God would give you opportunities to share your faith with a lost and dying world? How often, fathers, moms, how often do your children hear you begging God to save your lost neighbor across the street? When, when your children hear your prayers, what is at the center of your prayer? Is it them? Is it that we would have health and wealth and happiness? Or is the center of your family's prayers, thy kingdom come? God, would your kingdom come to this earth? God, this world doesn't look as it ought. We know people that do not know Jesus. God, would your kingdom come? Would they know you, God? Something that we try, me and my wife, as we are, I mean, we are terrible, sinful people, but something we try to do with our kids is we try to, one, we pray with them every night, and we pray, one, that they would be saved. I don't know if that's awkward for them, if they're like, oh, I thought I was saved, but we're, every night, we're praying for them. God, would you save Addie? Would you save Zion? Would you save Giovanna, Everly? And however many more kids that we have, right? Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully a lot. Um, We pray for them. But and we also, with with our kids, we pray. I pray for the lost people that I'm ministering to on campus. My kids pray for our weekly 8 to 8 meetings. And they say, God, would you save the people that daddy's speaking to? Would you save them? I say all that to say, what is the heartbeat of your prayer, church? When people hear you pray, what do they hear? Do they hear, Jesus, would your kingdom come? I encourage you in that. Number two, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. God is our provider. God is our great provider. I think something that's hard about living in this country, and I, I, I praise God that we live here and, and that we have plenty and we always have food on the table and we always have money coming in, is, is it's sometimes hard for us to really understand the weight of God being our provider. Do you understand what I mean by that? Often, I think we view ourselves as our own providers. 
we provide for ourselves, and, and it's important for us to see the humble understanding that everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. James 1.17 says, For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Acts 17.28 says this, In him, in Christ, we have life, or we live and move and have our being. We have everything we have comes from the provision of God. Every breath that we take, every step we take, everything we do is given to us by God. This is what should lead us to having, to praying at all times and always having thanksgiving in our hearts. If we understood that God literally provides for us in every single moment of every day, it would cause us to pray at all times and to be thankful in all ways, in all places, because God is providing for us literally every second of every day. That's amazing. Do you acknowledge in your prayers the grace of God in all things? Do you pray and do you do you acknowledge God that he needs to provide for your every need? Prayer is our number one guard against pride. Hear me say that. Prayer is our number one guard against pride. We should be continually, often, always praying, understanding our subjection to God. God, I need you always. God is our provider. Next, and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. God is our forgiver. God is our forgiver. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, how amazing is it that we sin against God over and over and over again and we are allowed we are allowed to just bow our knees to Jesus and say, God, will you forgive me? And he forgives us. <laughs> that is the greatest news on the planet. That anytime we need, anytime we want, when we sin, we can ask God to forgive us. And he does. He's faithful and just to do so because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, without his death, without his resurrection, God cannot forgive our sins. It will be impossible for him to do so. But because of Christ, because he died for us on the cross, anytime we need, God, forgive me. He says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. Church, how often you ask God for forgiveness? How often do you repent of sin? And, and I mean that. How often do you go in your bedroom and get on your hands and knees and beg God to forgive you for your sin? I hope we do it often because I know all of us are very sinful people. Every day we should be overwhelmed by how sinful we are but even more overwhelmed 
that God graciously forgives us when we ask. Lastly, and lead us not into temptation, God is our deliverer. He's our deliverer. He's our deliverer of evil. He's our deliverer of sin. He's the one that doesn't just forgive us, but he actually protects us. He actually makes us more into the image of his son. He actually uh, defeats the power that sin has over us. And ultimately, one day, he will deliver us fully from sin. And we will have no bondage of sin any longer. We will have no more sin. We will be with him forever in heaven. Do you ask the Lord to keep you from temptation? Do you desire to be holy to stay away from sin? And do you believe, God, that, that he will actually deliver you from the bondage of your sin, the things that you struggle with, the things that you can't help but do? God is our deliverer, okay? I hope that you are seeing God. I hope that right now in this moment, you're like, wow, God is amazing. I love him. I wanna pray to him. I wanna commune with him. This God is awesome, he's holy, and he's my father, okay? But we're not done yet. Let's go to the parable. The last point, the parable, who God is in our response. We're gonna look at God again and look at a little bit of our response. So Jesus, he gives um, the Lord's Prayer. This is how do you pray. And then he tells a parable, which is very interesting, so we know that Jesus is giving us this parable because he's trying to teach us more about prayer. He's trying to teach us something in this parable. So let's look at it again. Let me read through it again real quick. Read with me in Luke 11, starting in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, his shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. For the one who seeks, finds, since the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks you for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so, and that was quick. And I can spend a whole other sermon, okay, um, talking about this parable. And while I'm up here, I, I just might as well stay up here for a whole other sermon and do so. Um, just kidding. I'm gonna, I'm, trust me, I'm closing her down. Um, kind of. Okay. But what is, God, what is Jesus trying to teach us about God? Okay, this is important. What is God trying to teach us about God? There's two, two major things, okay? I want you to write these down. Number one thing that he's trying to teach us about God is that God is able. The God we pray to, he's able. And what that means is there's nothing that we need that God cannot provide. Do y'all understand that? There's nothing we can ask of God that is too hard for him. <laughs> nothing is too hard for God. 
He's the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? A cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the whole universe. Anything he wants to do, he can do it. In this parable, as we read it, there's nothing, um, there's nothing really crazy about this guy's request at a provisional level. It's just three loaves of bread. In that day, that wouldn't have been that crazy. Three loaves of bread is easy, right? He's, the reason why his request is crazy is because of when he comes in the, in the middle of the night. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But the main thing that I want us to see first in this parable is when we pray to God, we know that he is able. We can pray for whatever, and God is able to do it. We talk about this all the time on the college campus. When we're praying to God for people's salvations, when we're praying to God for our events, when we're praying to God that that God would do things, there's nothing we can pray for that would be too hard for God. There's no limit to his power. We could not pray something to God and God be like, man, I don't know. I don't know about that one. God is, our God is able. But just as important, okay, and here's where we get to the depth of the story. God is not just able, but God is willing. God is willing. Our God isn't just able to provide, he's willing to provide, okay? And here's, here's the essence of this story, is this friend, because of this guy's persistence and his audacity to ask and to continue to ask, the friend decides, you know what, because this guy keeps bothering me, it would just be better for me to get up out of my bed, give him the three loaves, and then he can go away and I can get back to sleep, okay? The moral of the story is God's not like that. Y'all feel me? God is not like the friend in the story. It's, this story is here. Jesus is putting the story here to show us a contrast that God isn't like that. It says that the, when he asks, the friend asks, it says that he responds with, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot give you, get up and give you anything. Hear me say this, church. You are not a bother to God. He is not bothered by you. He is delighted in you because you, you are his precious son and daughter. And when you ask him for things, he's not just able to answer. He's willing and wanting to ask to answer. When we knock on the door in the middle of the night, he's not in his bed and, and waking up and bothered by you. He's delighted to answer the door and let you in. And he's willing to answer all of your requests. Our God is not just able, but he's willing. So if God is able and he's willing, we should want to pray to him. Y'all feel me? God is not just sovereign, meaning he's in control of all things. He's good. He's good in everything he does. This should cause us to want to pray to God because God is our faithful friend he's not like this friend in the passage he's not a friend who is bothered he's not a friend that just gets up and 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 gives you what you want because you're bothering man our God is a faithful friend and not just that even greater he's a loving and faithful father he loves to give good gifts to his children it says it at the end he says Man, 
if you who are evil, which just so you guys know, newsflash, we're all evil. If we who are evil love and are willing and wanting to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our heavenly father want to give us good gifts? We can't even imagine what God wants to bless us with. We can't even imagine the requests that he wants to answer. So how should we pray? I conclude with this. How should we pray? Number one, we should pray audaciously. We should pray audaciously. This man in this story, this friend was audacious. He comes to his friend in the middle of the night at midnight. I know most, most of you college students, they don't even go to bed by midnight, so it wouldn't be a bother to you, right? But in this day and age, midnight was the middle of the night. It was a bother. And this man was audacious enough to knock on this guy's door and ask him. Shameless, the word impudence, it just means, it means persistence or it can also just mean, and this is probably the best word rendered here, it's just a shameless asking. To ask without any shame. Any parents in the house know, okay, your kids ask you for crazy things all the time without any shame. Right? They love to ask you for the most outrageous things at the most outrageous times. And they do it in utter confidence that you will give it to them. That's that's who our God is. That's how we should pray. As a shameless little child saying, God, Father, will you do this? I know it's crazy. I know it's audacious. By the way, is there anything that we could pray for that would be audacious to God? (laughs) No, (laughs) nothing. Number two, the way we should pray, persistently. We should pray audaciously. We should also pray persistently. I I think there's something to this in the passage that, that God is saying to to be shameless, to persist in asking. It says, and I will tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. It means keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who continues to ask receives, and the one who continues to seek will find. And to the one who continues to knock, it will be opened. God conforms us into his image by us faithfully and persistently begging him for things. He wants us to persist in our prayers, to keep on praying. How often, church, do we pray for something once and we're done with it? How often do we know that lost person that we want to know the Lord and we pray for them and we, we stop praying, we stop asking? God wants us to persist in prayer. And lastly, we should pray expectantly. Why? Why should we pray expectantly? Because God is our loving Father. We pray audaciously, we keep on praying persistently, and then we expect because our God is that faithful friend and that loving Father and that this passage gives us confidence, faith, that when we ask, we will receive. This should cause us to want to pray. I encourage you, church, we need to pray. I I need to pray. We all need to pray. As a church, we need to be a church that prays. We need to be a church that prays. And our lack of prayer, 
speaks less about our discipline or our crazy, chaotic lives. It speaks more about our view of God. Do we view God rightly? Do we see him correctly? Do we fear him as father? Because if we do, it will cause us to pray. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Again, I pray that if there's anyone um, in the room today that does not know you, I pray that they would know you. God, please save them. Would they honor you as, in their hearts as king and as Lord? I pray that they would know, Jesus, that you died for them on the cross, that you shed your blood on their behalf so that they could be called the son or daughter of the most high king. Would they know that and believe that? Would it change them, God? And I pray for every single person in here, and I pray that all of us would be urged to pray, to see you as we ought to see you, to love you as we ought to, to worship you as, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll be a church who prays, who prays audaciously, who prays persistently, and who prays expectantly. We love you, God, and we ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen.